It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. This is Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian Kilmeade, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. So you know I'm in the best of hands. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has the day off. The Brian Kilmeade Show sits high atop daily the Mount Rushmore monument of talk radio programs in America. Brian's voice has never been more important, even more so with yesterday's passing of the legendary Rush Limbaugh. We'll talk about that later in Brian's program today. I know that if Brian were here, he would be talking about Rush. So we will do we will honor the Maharishi a little bit later in the program. It is my pleasure on the Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker line is one of the best in the business, Blake Berman from Fox Business, uh, senior White House correspondent. Blake, it's Harry. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Who paid you to say that about me? Uh, you earned it. <laughs> you earned it. Uh, the, cash, the, the check cash declared. Um, <laughs> That's how it works? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Blake, the early thanks, thanks. Biden... Good to be with you, by the way. <laughs> it's great to be with you, Blake. The early Biden messaging, I want to be kind on the Brian Kilmeade Show, disjointed to give it a compliment. It's been a mess. In what facet? Well, um, I, I mean, there's obviously a lot going on here in Washington and, and at the White House. Um, you know, I asked uh, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, about this yesterday. One of the comments that the vice president, Kamala Harris, made about uh, the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in which she, the vice president, had said that they had essentially started from scratch. Um, you know, and I had asked uh, the press secretary, well, how can you make that claim, considering that Dr. Fauci had said, no, they didn't start from scratch. And even the administration yesterday acknowledged that that the prior administration was at an average of about 890,000 uh, doses a day on, on the rolling average. And, and you know, they, they changed their messaging by saying, look, um, the previous administration wasn't efficient or necessarily effective. Uh, so, you know, they, they walked away a little bit yesterday from the line that, that they had started from scratch on, on COVID. Um, you know, I guess maybe that, that's one thing that, that you could point to, but there's, there's a lot of things that, that they're well, doing. Well, and let me, let me add another one just on COVID-19, Blake. You know, you're, you're right there in the White House uh, press briefing room, and then you hear the goal being said out loud. The president's goal for the first 100 days is at least a million vaccines a day, 100 million vaccines over the first 100 days when we as a nation, we were already averaging more than that before they took office. It's as though it's like suspension of belief, bizarro world. It's like nothing happened until they got there. They don't even know what was in place yesterday. And they're setting goals on this. And we're going to prove it a little bit later in our interview, Blake, about education as well, when uh, many more schools are already open one day a week than the Biden goal of being open for at least one day of of schooling. I think this is a good place to, to bring some of the hard-earned audio in, into play. Pete, let's go with cut five. And when as we set that up, it, it's important to note that the critics on this uh, cut are the types of networks that we're typically asking, what's your favorite 
flavor ice cream. Isn't it fantastic? You beat your own granddaughter. Who beats their own grandchild in anything in Mario Kart? I mean, crazy stuff that's going on. Pete, cut number five. This is one of a few predictions President Biden made, though he did reset some expectation amidst conflicting and confusing messages from the White House, shifting messages, we should say. President Joe Biden may have pledged to reopen a majority of schools in his first hundred days, but his administration can't seem to settle on what that means. We're hearing a lot of conflicting uh, stuff from the White House, uh, especially right now about when the vaccines will be widely available, what counts in terms of reopening schools. What do you make so far of the messaging from the Biden administration? Yeah, I think mixed messaging is a little bit of an understatement. We are visiting with Blake Berman from the Fox Business Channel. So that's some of his best friends. Uh, Is it so apparent that they can no longer remain silent? It isn't up to you and a handful of other people, uh, Peter Ducey and and Kristen and the few people that are willing to ask. They're not asking unfair questions. You're asking the questions that we, the American people, want to know. So that was just a little sampling of how disjointed this message is. Blake, your thoughts? Well, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and grade my colleagues or, or other colleagues from other networks. So I'm going to take a pass on that. I will tell you, um, you know, let, let's just look at sort of how this is all played out um, with vaccine distribution. Right. When the president was a camp was was then candidate uh, Biden, his his goal that he had laid out was 100 million doses in the first 100 days. Simple math, a million doses a day. Right. Experts yeah. had been saying and we were talking to them that. If you want to get to a place in this country where we need to be and where we should be with vaccination, you are going to have to vaccinate a million to a million and a half people every single day from January 1, essentially to Labor Day, every single day, day after day after week after week after month after month to get to where we need to be. So the initial rollout or the initial goal from the Biden administration was on the lower uh was on the lower end side of that figure, right? A million to a million and a half. They talked about basically a million a day. However, um, you know, when they took over, the numbers were just at about that level, right? I think it was at like like 1.1 million a week or, or something like that. So there was yeah. a real question at the time of, well, if we're already doing the goal right now, is the goal uh, not high enough? Are we not setting the bar enough? Um, and it took the White House a few days to sort of, Uh, to sort of move to this message of, well, yeah, maybe we, you know, we can do more down the line. And remember, the president at one point had said 150 million we could get to. And the White White House had said, oh, well, that's not necessarily a goal. They had stuck to the 100 million mark. So it was definitely moving a little bit. And there are were definitely real questions about, well, are you undershooting the goal? Uh, Because we're kind of doing that right now. And then we heard from the White House yesterday yesterday. in in sort of them uh, highlighting their efforts that the last seven-day rolling average is 1.7 million. Um, Look, everyone wants this number to be as high as possible, right? The more people that get back, the better this is for everyone. Um, So now I I think one of the real questions is, should that 100 million over 100 days be the goal, or should the bar be set a little bit higher? What about the next 100 days, right? Like, what should we be doing over the next 100 days or so? So there have been a lot of real questions here about um, what the number is, what the goal should be, where the White House has been on this. Um, but also, to be fair, Harry, you know, no one really has answers, right? Like this is something that we're dealing with 
for the very first time. Um, and it, it's a challenge for everyone. It was a challenge for the Trump administration. It's been a challenge for the Biden administration. But there are real questions about, um, you know, the goal going forward and, and where things should be. Blake, I'm fine with that. And, and I appreciate you are a fair person. But isn't it also fair that they should know going in that they were already averaging more or at least uh, exactly what their own goal was. So what silly person would set a goal that's already in place? You're going to say you don't you want to you don't want to set a goal that gets everybody vaccinated. That Look, wants they a probably vaccine. they probably should have adjusted that. Right. Right. Like the president, the president, when he campaigned about this hundred million over 100 days, you got to go back and look at the numbers. I don't have it off the top of my head, or even if we were vaccinating people at that time. But there, there wasn't. Remember, the Trump administration had talked about 20 million uh, by the end of of 2020, and it ended up only being like a few million or something like that that ended up getting vaccinated. So I, I guess you know the, the point you can make was: should they have adjusted the goal once he took office, and yeah. once they saw what the numbers were, which, as you mentioned, were at about that million uh, dose a day mark, and now it's a million, uh, close to 2 million a day, you know, 1.7 million. And again, looking forward, should the goal be adjusted? Should we be looking past 100 million over the first 100 days? Um, you know, all all real questions uh, in a process that I don't think anyone can tell you what anything is going to look like, you know, a week, a month, yet alone 100 days out from now. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show with the Fox Business Channel's Blake Berman, senior White House correspondent. Let's talk education in the few minutes that we have Blake, because I think this is also something obviously that's very important. We have everything yeah. from suicides. I think yeah. a lot of people sell short the social emotional issue. Did you of see children. the CDC numbers from yeah. today? Oh. With, um, life expectancy it dropped. I believe a, a year, or something a full like year that because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, a full a yeah. full year, which is staggering. Uh, your year, and it sounds like it's nothing. It's huge. I mean, it's a type. It's a it's a tsunami earthquake in terms of life expectancy, which, of course, because of improvements in medicine and everything, has right, been right, going right. up, not going down at all. So, from an education standpoint, Pete, let's uh, let's set it up with cut three, and we'll come back to Blake. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than fifty percent, open. Uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. You're now saying that means those schools may only be open for at least one day a week. No, that's not true. That's what was reported. Uh That's not true. It was a mistake in the communication. But what I'm talking about is I said opening the majority of schools in K through eighth grade. And here's another mistake, Blake. At the point that yeah. Jen Psaki said more than 50 percent with at least one day, we were already above 62 percent. Yeah, I think I think it might have. Yeah, I think it was 62 or 64, whatever it was. It yeah. was somewhere in that low to mid 60s. Um, yeah, this, this is another one of those follow the bouncing ball, right? Like where where is it? Where are you going and where do you think we should be? Three three huge questions. Um, look, they they have they have. Uh, They have moved on this or at least changed the message, however you want to describe it. And there's been questions, you know, uh, positioned to the administration as well about vaccinating teachers and and how that should go about. Um, You know, they've this is, again, one of those those messaging things that, look, I asked the head of the CDC uh, the end of last week, can why why haven't you mandated schools reopen? Right. The head of the CDC says. We, we, we want to make it clear we are not mandating anything here. 
So I flipped the question to the head of the CDC when they spoke to us on a reporter call at the end of last week. Why can't you mandate? Why aren't you mandating? And they say, the CDC says, we can't mandate that schools reopen. It's done by the states, counties, school districts, et cetera. So there is only so much here that the administration can do. But also you would think that they would sort of have their position outlined as to what exactly they would like to see happen. And it's one of those in which over the last week or so, it's sort of like pick a day to get a to get a different answer. Blake, in terms of final question, in terms of because you move from one administration to another and, you know, the styles are different and obviously dramatically different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have from a citizen president to to someone who's been around for more than 50 years. Uh, how has the first almost one month in your estimation been? Uh, it's definitely different. Um, it's definitely different. Um, you know, look, whether you agree with the Biden administration's policies or not, and I'm not here to tell you they're good or bad policies or whatever, um, they came right out the gate and they had their things that they wanted to do via executive actions and they did it, Right. It's like I I told people about covering President Trump, former President Trump, whether you like what he the policies that he enacted or not, he did what he said he was going to do. Right. Like not a lot of these things policy wise should have been surprises based off of what the president campaigned on. And starting the same thing goes with the Biden administration. Again, whether you like the policies or not, I'm not here to weigh in on that. He's he's done what he has said he is going to do, and they've gone about it in a fairly organized fashion here in the first uh, you know month out the gate. Now I will say it's it's sort of like I'm a golfer, right? Like, or, or let me give you a football analogy. You get, some teams script the first 15 plays, no matter what happens, no matter whether it should be a passing play or it should be a running play. They script the first 15, and then after that, it's sort of a, a live ball from there on out. We're sort of past the scripting the first 15 plays sort of thing from the Biden administration. And now you're seeing where they have to make adjustments. Just look at minimum wage, right? Like this was something that the president wanted in the $1.9 trillion plan. And now there's um, some pushback from Joe Manchin, Democrat, Kristen Sinema, Democrat. And if if, uh, Democrats are going to go at it alone with their stimulus plan, uh, rescue plan, whatever you want to call it, they're going to need some help. And so now they're from from every single Democrat in the Senate. So now they've Down got to sort of figure, figure everything out. So, look, it, there, there are some similarities. There's clearly stylistic differences. Um, but, you know, like like what President Trump uh, did, what he said he was going to do. President Biden's doing the same thing. Just you know what I like? I like I'm a sports guy, too. I like that analogy. The first 15 plays because it's scripted and you can look very organized and very, very well run. The freelancing, I believe, has been very yeah. ugly. There are no Tom Brady uh, in play 16 yeah. on so far. Blake, great to visit with you on Brian's program. Continued success Stay safe out there. You too, man. Thanks. The phone lines are open. Let's take your temperature. Brian loves to take your calls. We will honor that, of course. 866-408-7669. Harry, Allison, Eric, and Pete filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. 
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in for Brian. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian, Allison, uh, and Eric and Pete. Great to be with you today. We're going to go to your calls in just a moment. Let me take this opportunity to ask you to do something, not do as I say, but do as I've already done. I am a very, very satisfied Fox Nation customer. The platform is incredible. The content is, I mean, it is so awesome. All your favorite personalities with long-form content that you couldn't possibly see without Fox Nation. And let me give you the latest uh, offering, Limbaugh's Legacy, available now on foxnation.com. Limbaugh's Legacy, check it out. Uh, We'll talk about Rush a little bit later in Brian's program, but this is an incredible piece of work. On Fox Nation right now, Limbaugh's Legacy. Let's welcome William. He's listening to Brian's program on WTRC in a favorite area of mine because since I was a tiny little toddler, Notre Dame has been my favorite college football team. South Bend, Indiana's own William joining the Brian Kilmeade Show. William, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning to you all. Thank you for taking my call. And you're absolutely right. There's some consistency here. Notre Dame, greatest university of all time, college football, along with Rush Limbaugh, greatest conservative all time. Uh, I had talked to uh, Pete, the uh, the screener, and, and... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. About a month and a half ago, I started thinking, you know, we've lost Trump as far as leading this country and and really a spokesman for the conservative movement. 
and I knew that it wasn't going to be long. I just had a feeling, which literally, um, I took it very, very hard yesterday as well. I was I lived in uh, Manhattan from '82 to '92, and that's mm-hmm. where I first heard Rush. He had a, a show there um, early morning. Um, I remembered some things that stick out to me. He had launched a, a tie, a signature tie, somewhat like uh, Trump mm-hmm. had done as well. Yeah. Um, but just listening to him the whole time and listening, living in Manhattan and having that conservative side that was during uh, Koch's administration, um, it, it just I followed him ever since then. I have two. Hey, William, right I want to thank you. I know you could. I can tell you could riff on this for the remainder of today, tomorrow, and the next year. Uh, there's no question. Limbaugh was great and uh, making Brian Kilmeade's voice even more important. He was already in the Mount Rushmore top three. He's already moved up and uh, never more important. We'll be back. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What I would like to see is some transparency from Robin Hood. Uh, we all support the little guy uh, against the big hedge fund. I think just about every American that understands the process would, would feel the same way. But uh, it was very wrong what Robinhood did in suspending their platform. And I think that they need to give an explanation as to why they did that. Uh, is it because of some rule, some reinsurance type uh, regulation? Uh, if not, then they should be subjected to fines and, and penalties because uh, that's unacceptable behavior. Uh, And it's something that uh, we don't ever want to see happen again. It's Congressman James Comer from the Fox Business Network on the topic that we're going to be addressing right now on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian has the day off. Harry Hurley with Allison, Eric and Pete filling in. We have a distinguished guest on The Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker Hotline, and his name is Congressman David Kustoff. He is the distinguished gentleman from the 8th Congressional District of Tennessee, a member of the House Financial Services Committee, and the committee will be holding a hearing today on GameStop, one of the best voices that we could possibly bring to the Brian Kilmeade show on this topic, because it it is even fascinated. It's fascinated investors. It's fascinated uh, day traders. It's fascinated people that didn't really think or talk about uh, the stock market. Congressman Kustoff, welcome to Brian's program. Hey, Harry. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you. And see if this is a simple way for someone that's not familiar with these types of subjects to take this. The little guys organically got together and decided that they were going to take on the big guys. They were going to take on the hedge funds. Now, of course, the big guys love the rules when it's to their favor. They don't like it if somebody uses these rules on them. So they said, hey, you know, this is great. You can purchase the stock of your choice. You just can't sell it. Uh, so is that is that sort of close to what's happened here? I think you I think you have hit it exactly right. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe even to go back a little bit further, you know, with with Robin Hood and, and we have our our hearing today at, at noon Eastern time. We've got the the founder of Robin Hood. We've got Roaring Kitty, who is the you know main uh, advocate on on Reddit and and the CEO of Citadel, which controls the you know the buy and 
flow of the of the data and the and the trades and the the head of Melvin Capital, but Robinhood uh, really uh, did a good job of trying to level the playing field for the for the little guy. They brought further democratization, if you will, to to the trading of, of stocks, so that everyday investors. Uh, People with with uh, maybe not uh, as much money in their portfolios, some other brokerages could get in and and buy stocks. And so you, you summed it up exactly correct. I think when when you talked about these these small investors really banding together, uh, talking in different forums on Reddit and what have you to buy stock in a in a company like like uh, GameStop that was being shorted by the by the big guys mm-hmm. and for a period of time in in January, they were beating those big guys, and and depending on when they got in and when they maybe got out, they made some they made some money. But going back to the clip that you just had of Congressman Comer talking about the uh, those investors on Robinhood who essentially were shut out for a period of time from trading, to me that's a real big concern because they didn't have open access to the markets for a period of time. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show with Congressman David Kustoff, and we're talking about this uh, issue that definitely struck a chord with America, even the casual uh, observer that thought, wow, the little guys took on the big guys, and the big guys just didn't like it. And look, I understand. I did spend a few years uh, in the financial services industry before my broadcasting career, and I get it. In one case, they had to raise like $2 billion you know, to keep up with this. So they were definitely um, getting squeezed, but those were the rules. And, and was it unfair in your estimation, Congressman, when they told people you can buy but you can't sell? Well, I, I think that will be the, the question. That's what I want to hear from from the Robinhood founder. Is yeah. uh, you know why why do they have the why do they have the capital crunch? Why do they have to suspend trading? And what guarantees can they give to their account holders and really to everybody else that if the same situation were to arise again, that they're not their their account holders, their customers won't be denied access. To their app and to, and to trading, but you know when you think about Robinhood and, and other platforms like Robinhood, they really did pave the way for people to be able to trade at no commission cost. Uh, you know, you remember the days when when you paid a lot for commissions, and then ultimately yep. a lot of the big brokerages they were lowered to four dollars a trade and, and whatnot. Well, now virtually everybody is offering. Zero dollars and Robinhood. There's no doubt helped uh, help bring that afoot, but we can't have that. We can't have that happen again. And I think another issue is, you know, we're going to be hearing testimony today from Keith Gill, who uh, has the has the the great uh, stage name of Roaring Kitty on <laughs> on Reddit, and his story about his promotion of of GameStop. I, I I've read. His prepared testimony is really kind of an interesting story. I mean, this is a guy that uh, uh, was the first, I believe, the first in his family to graduate from from college. Was out of a job until just a year or so ago, and he went to work for for Mass Mutual. And today he's a millionaire. and And, and he talked about GameStop, where uh, he thought, or the, the big guys thought that that it was an antiquated company, that it was the 
the the next blockbuster video store of, of mm-hmm. retailers, and he said yep. he's going to say, "Look, um, this is where I shop for my games. I've shopped for my games and my consoles my my whole life, and I saw some some real value there." Congressman, we we see over the course of of not recent history, we'll say we saw the tobacco executives all in a line, standing, raising their right hands and testifying under oath. And they didn't know that you know tobacco causes cancer. They didn't know this. They didn't know that. We saw all everybody all lined up. Uh, some of it was more modern with, with the COVID-19 era and was even done over um, a, a video conferencing. But the same thing, raising your right hand, testifying under oath, the big tech social media. And, and now we have uh, today, which I think is gonna, I'm going to be following it very closely, Congressman, we have executives from Robinhood, Citadel, Melvin Capital, Reddit, and, and the congressman mentioned Keith Gill, the Reddit poster, uh, all going on today. Do you ever get at the truth or do, does the exercise happen and they evade the, the, the crux of the matter? How, how tough is it to actually get to the finish line anymore? Well, frankly, it depends on on how well the question is asked by members of Congress, because sometimes, uh, you know, if you've got your, your me or another congressman, you've got five minutes to ask your question and have your question answered. Now, you know, if a, if a congressman or congresswoman pontificates for three to three and a half to four minutes of those five minutes, that doesn't yep. give the witness much time to answer. So I, I find that, at least for me, it's really direct questioning and uh, and really if if you will trying to pigeonhole that answer from from the witness that's what i intend to do today i hope that other members on the committee do the same but but Harry, you know that that some of the members especially on the on the other side of the aisle they're going to want their their fame and their and their moment and they're not as interested in getting at the at the real answer is is making a splash for themselves and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, the show. The show rather than actually getting to the truth. I, I could not agree more with that. Congressman Kustoff, we, we have a few more minutes uh, if you're game and I think something that I believe would be very listenable for the Brian Kilmeade universe to hear is a discussion on how close the margin is in the House of Representatives, and I believe there's a few, and I think you'll agree with me, there's a few Republican pickups uh, about to happen that will add to this math. This will be one of the closest margins in history. Uh, obviously, that's that's great news if, if you do not want a socialist Democrat America and, and you want an America that's based more upon civil liberties and free market and all the things that we saw create the amount of jobs that we created before COVID-19 and the economy that we were enjoying. So I'm excited for the midterm, which obviously is going to be here before we know it, with the margins being as close as they are. uh, This is, I think, welcome news that will stave off some of the more radical things that the Democrats would like to do, but they they just might not have the numbers. And especially when you see how many Democrats were sent packing because they fell on their sword for the last uh, session and and voted on some some ghastly things that really made them extremely vulnerable and Republicans picked up many many more seats. I mean the Democrat media believed that Democrats were going to pick up seats. As you know, uh, you guys picked up like fifteen seats or whatever it was, and I think two out of the last three you're going to get and maybe even sweep it all. So what are your thoughts about the margins? What this means for the present, but also Congressman Kustoff, what it means going into the midterm. So here, you're exactly right, and and you know we a lot of times 
uh, people pay attention to what happens at the top, and they should. But when you look at the at the House of Representatives and the United States Senate right now, it couldn't be any much more closer. Uh, the Senate obviously being 50-50, and as you pointed out, you know to have the majority in the House of Representatives, it's 218 congressmen, and we're we're on my side. We're roughly five or six away. We had a unfortunately a Republican congressman, uh, as you know from Texas, yeah. that passed away last week from from COVID, uh, and we had one that was about to be sworn in in Louisiana. In, in late December, who passed away from COVID. Very tragic on both counts. But we get closer and closer. And that means that that uh, the these bills that uh, are, the Democrats are trying to cast as, as progressive and far left, they really have to work hard to thread the needle. Now, that doesn't mean that Nancy Pelosi can't slam something through in the House. And, and you know, one thing I'll say about her, she she's a good vote counter. So yeah. if, if there's a bill on the floor, it's likely to to pass. She's likely to have the votes. But the, everything is so so close, and with the with the midterms coming up, like you just talked about, we're gonna we're gonna focus on a lot of their progressive priorities that uh, that they're gonna continue to push, along with the fact that we have redistricting. That's coming right. up uh, it, with uh, later this year and into next year, and that's going to change the equation, I believe, in the Republicans' favor. I totally agree, Congressman. I know we're down to just a moment or two with you, and I just want to throw out one more thing for consideration, and that is we already see energy prices going up. We have an administration, it's back to the future, where they, they don't seem to like oil or get natural gas and I mean, all we have to do is I'm not picking on Texas, but look at Texas. If you want to base your grid on one third alternative energy, then you better have a way for turbines not to freeze and for all the other the solar panels to work. And of course, if they're covered with snow, they can't. Uh, so we see what happens if you stray away. And I, I, I sense that going from being energy independent, which we became the world's uh, leading uh oil exporter, which is amazing. We used to, as you know, we had the the boot on our throat from OPEC. You didn't even hear OPEC for the last four years. Now that's creeping up the the prices. So I believe just organically what the Biden administration and what Pelosi and and, uh, Schumer will try to pull off over the next couple of years, the fact that a midterm and the president that's uh, in power, his party almost loses seats if nothing goes wrong, uh, I, I expect you to win the majority back. Yeah. You know, Harry, I, one of my constituents said on January 20th when Biden was getting sworn in that he wanted to take a picture of a, of, of the price of gas at, at, at the gas station down the street and compare it to what it's going to look like four years from now. Because for all the reasons you just talked about, and remember that that Biden preached unity and bipartisanship – and one of the very first things he did, all those executive orders that he's issued, was canceling the the Keystone Pipeline. Yep. And not only don't even you have to consider the loss of jobs, but what that does to the reduction and the availability of 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 energy, it further adds on to it. You're right. Anybody who's old enough who's listening who remembers the the oil embargo that. Uh, the oil uh, prices in the in the mid to late 70s and 
in the, into the early 80s before uh, as Reagan was was taking over. And what we've been able to enjoy the last four years, uh, you know, what Texas has shown is we're not ready for the progressive left's primetime uh, climate uh, uh, change in terms of of, of, of our supply of, of power, we're not ready. We shouldn't we shouldn't depend on it, and it's going to really complicate things over the next few years until we get the House and the Senate back in two years. Couldn't agree more. But they're going to help us do it, and uh, it's going to happen. Congressman Kustoff, keep up the great work. Honored to present you on Brian's program today. Thank you so much, Harry. You're welcome, sir. We'll be back. We'll go back to your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, Mika, but that's classic Andrew Cuomo. Um, a lot of people in New York State have received those phone calls. Uh, you know, the bullying is nothing new. Um, I believe Ron Kim, and it's very, very sad. No public servant, no person who's uh, telling the truth should be treated that way. Um, but yeah. That the, the threats, the, the belittling, uh, the demand that someone change their statement right that moment, uh, many, many times. I've heard that, and I know a lot of other people in this state have heard that. Think about that. That is the New York City mayor, Bill de Blasio, a fellow Democrat, on a Democrat media company, Mika Brzezinski from MSNBC, and that is de Blasio talking about New York Assemblyman Ron Kim, and that he believes him that on February 11th of this year, Assemblyman Kim says that Governor Cuomo told him that he can destroy him, that you have not seen my wrath. Now, these are alleged comments, but Democrats believe it. This isn't Republicans trying to make hay and retire Cuomo. And you have nine other Democrat Assemblymen who have accused New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of official obstruction of justice, citing Title 18, Chapter 73 of the Federal Criminal Code. This is extraordinary. Sidebar very quickly, and then we're going to go back to the calls. There is an awesome new piece of content that's available on Fox Nation, Limbaugh's Legacy. Check it out, foxnation.com. It's incredible. It celebrates Rush Limbaugh's legacy. And you'll enjoy it. Let's get Joe in on WRCN, listening to Brian in Long Island. Joe, we were just talking about what you want to talk about. Go. Yeah, Harry, uh, uh, honored to speak with you this morning. I, I really quickly, my wife wants to say Allison's twins' first birthday is coming up in case I don't get back in. H- happy health, happy birthday from both of us. Awesome. I want to put that in. feels like it's been five years, but it's only a year. <laughs> but uh, it's not shocking to us New Yorkers. We know who Como is, that he threatened people. This guy called Ice Doug. We've been fighting against him for years. He wore a pink tie and lit up the uh, Casciasco Bridge and One World Trade Center and uh, the Al Smith Building in Albany when they were going to pass an abortion bill. And in Joe, Joe, you're an awesome caller. We've got to go only because of the clock. It's into the 
heart, not of the mind. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian Kilmeade, partnering with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits daily high atop the Mount Rushmore monument of talk radio programs in America. Brian's voice has never been more important, even more so with yesterday's passing of the legendary Rush Limbaugh. And we'll be talking about Rush a little bit later this hour and in particular coming up in the next hour of the program. I know that if Brian were here today, he would be talking about Rush. So on Brian's behalf, uh, we will be talking about Rush. And also at the um, wonderful platform, Fox Nation, there is an incredible new piece of content. It's multiple pieces, actually, multiple interviews. Brian is featured uh, extensively in the piece. It's called Limbaugh's Legacy, available right now. Brand new content, foxnation.com. Well, I have to say, uh, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to know it. I'm a big fan of Carol. I'm a big fan of Carol's work. I love intellectually honest people. Uh, I, I love people that approach their craft the way that Carol Markowitz does. And I want to uh, help you in terms of Brian's listeners get up to speed on exactly what happened here because there's so much obfuscation, flat-out intellectual dishonesty. If I hear Governor Cuomo one more time say that he didn't put any COVID-19 positive cases in the the senior living facilities, the nursing homes, I I don't think I can stand it. He's blamed everyone. He's blamed nurses. He's blamed visitors that come in. He's blamed God. And of course, he's blamed Trump. In an opinion piece titled in the New York Post, where Carol is is a featured fabulous columnist, titled Cuomo didn't protect seniors from COVID-19, but it was the media that covered it up. And oh, did they? They knew. They knew these numbers were unreported almost a year ago. They knew it all. But it was too important to position Cuomo to be the next president or to be the anti-Trump. Trump had to be bad man. Cuomo had to be the Emmy winner. Uh, Who writes a book? Who writes a book about your leadership halfway into the game? It's so outrageous. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker line, the New York Post superstar, Carol Markowitz. Carol, welcome to Brian's program. Thank you so much for having me. What an intro. Did did I say anything that you object to? (laughs) I agree with every word. (laughs) So let's talk about this. You're welcome, Carol. Your your column uh, is terrific. I encourage Brian's listeners to read it. And what what is amazing, though, and I think we we all owe Janice Dean, who we're going to talk about and talk with a little later in Brian's program, because she's the least political person on the planet Earth. She's amazing. And uh, she'll speak for herself a little bit later in Brian's program. But she was dogged. She stayed on top of this. She would not let Governor Cuomo get away with it. 
and she was yeah. fabulous. Her leadership, it does show the power of one person because she has been extraordinary. But guess what? It's not one person anymore, Carol. And you, you yeah. can't misrepresent truth when all of a sudden you have nine Democrats accusing Governor Cuomo of Title 18, Chapter 73, obstruction of justice, federal crimes. Tell us from your spectrum of observation uh, yeah. the latest of what's going on right now, because it seems like Cuomo is on the run and he's not used to that, is he? Right. You know, you're absolutely right. None of this would be a story without Janice Dean. She did not give up. Um, she had been on the fact that there was a nursing home cover up for mm-hmm. months. I mean, you know, she could have just said, OK, you know, my in-law, her in-laws died in uh, separate nursing homes. Uh, you know, it happened. Let's move on. Uh, but she didn't. She uh, she said there was a cover up and she was absolutely right. And, you know, Fox had been on it for a long time as well. I, I was on many Fox shows in the spring saying even if there's no cover up, New York counts their nursing home deaths completely differently than other states. And that's already a little questionable. Um, so if a nursing home resident died on the way to the hospital with COVID or died in the hospital with COVID, they don't count as a nursing home death in New York, allowing the numbers to look very sunny uh, for Governor Cuomo. And, you know, what I keep saying is the media is absolutely culpable here. He had softball interview after softball interview. He had interviews with his brother. I mean, if I'm ever a politician, I would love Hmm. to be interviewed by my brother. He'll give me a good interview. Um, And they let this go on and on and on. They needed a hero narrative. They produced it with him. And now I want to hold them all responsible for what they did. Carol, what do you think precipitated? Because I, I think that this is a whole different conversation today with you. We would still know the truth, but the truth would not yet be self-evident until the New York Attorney General, a Democrat, Letitia James, mm-hmm. decided to drop the hammer on Cuomo. Uh, you know this and I know this. There are many states, mm-hmm. many examples where he could have been protected. What do you think right. happened here that she told the truth, that this this honest report that showed that Cuomo underreported the nursing home COVID-19 deaths, all the things that you mentioned uh, quite well, Carol, about, hey, if you died on a ventilator in a hospital, but you got it in the nursing home, you didn't count. Hey, we could make fabulous, fantastical numbers if we cheat every step of the way. Why did the Attorney General James do this? Well, I think it was just coming to a head because New York Democrats were already quite annoyed at the Cuomo administration, even before that report. They were already kind of questioning him. Um, and pushing back on the numbers. They were feeling pressure in their own districts. And what happened post that report uh, from Attorney General James is that Melissa DeRosa, Cuomo's aide, apologized on a phone call to only New York Democrat politicians. So they haven't apologized to the families or anything yet, Mm -hmm. but they apologized to those politicians. And I think that's really what blew the story up because she only spoke to people in her own party and only to the politicians. And even they were like, this is wrong. This is not the way you handle a crisis. And they felt that they were going to have political problems because of it. And they weren't going to get the kind of press that Governor Cuomo got. They weren't going to be interviewed by their brother on CNN. They weren't right. going to get playful you know, banter. Yeah. Um, so they were afraid for their own political futures. And I think New York Democrats have played a giant role in bringing this to the front. Yeah, they were not going to get an international Emmy. They were not going to get a book deal. Right, Carol, if you would, because I think a big, fat lie 
that the Democrats decided we're not letting you get away with this. I believe that Governor Cuomo thought he could say it and that they would seethe internally, but they'd have to eat it. They'd have to take it. And that is when he said that he told the legislature the delay in getting you the information that you you know where I'm going, Carol. You can read my mind. Mm-hmm. The delay in the yeah. information that the legislature, co-equal branch, had been asking for month after month after month mm-hmm. was only delayed because Cuomo says he told the legislature it's only delayed because he was dealing with a federal investigation. Then they came out and said right. he never told us. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the other things that his aide told uh, the Democrats on that call was that they were afraid of Trump's tweets about it. They thought if they produced the real numbers, Trump was going to tweet about them. I mean, she literally said that. And yeah. I am just my mind is boggled how Trump tweeting has, you know, made them so afraid and the fact that they're afraid of criticism. I mean, that's really what what happens when you have a softball interviews and you don't have any kind of pushback is that you're afraid of some tweets. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that is know, so crazy. They, Carol. Carol, let's yeah. um, add a little value to this um, point that we're speaking about right now. Cut 12. This happened last Thursday evening around eight o'clock after news broke. The governor called uh, for about 10 minutes, it seemed like one hour, berating, yelling, and threatening that I have to issue a statement um, to that, that invalidated what I heard. Um, he asked me to lie to cover up uh, for his staff, and it's highly inappropriate you know, for the governor to have so he done said, that. So he, know, he said he can destroy you? I mean, he literally said that, and, and what else? He said, I haven't seen his anger, I haven't seen his wrath, and he will... Um, you know, go out tomorrow and destroy my political career, uh, my, you know, everything. Like he would say how bad of a person I am to everyone in public. Now, that's uh, media credit. That's CNN audio. That's uh, New York Assemblyman Ron Kim, not a Republican Mm -hmm. firebrand, a Democrat, who said on February 11th that Governor Cuomo told him he will destroy him and that, quote, you have not seen my wrath. On top of that, Carol, we have nine Democratic Assembly members who have accused the governor of federal criminal conduct. How are we actually to the point where this is almost amazing because who thought we would ever get here when bizarro world rules say that you can be doing everything wrong, but you're the you didn't use the Javits Center. You didn't use the USS Comfort. You put Mm -hmm. seniors in, in senior homes to infect other Innocence. They didn't. Of course, they didn't have proper spacing. They didn't have proper HVAC. There was just nobody, especially after Washington state early on. We knew what a problem this would be right. in this type of proximity. It is such a gross situation. It's it's almost unbelievable. And I still it's inexplicable to me why he did it. Now, he blames the federal government, but we know that's not true. Is Cuomo right. Governor Cuomo to be respectful? Is he finally going to be held to account. I think he is. I I think he is, too. Um, The story with Assemblyman Kim is so telling because there's nobody, nobody who is saying, oh, that doesn't sound like Governor Cuomo threatening people. Wow. No, I can't imagine him doing that. Everybody can imagine him doing that. And then Mayor Bill de Blasio was on MSNBC this morning, and, you know, they've long not gotten along. But the truth is that throughout the pandemic, Cuomo has 
beat on Bill de Blasio verbally. Uh, and Bill de Blasio really hasn't fired back. And well, he they, has now. Yeah, the mayor uh, responded that he's been on the other end of many berating phone calls from Governor Cuomo. It's completely believable. Everybody knows he did it. And I, I sincerely hope he's finally punished for it. Let's do this. We did play this clip earlier in Brian's program, but let's go back to that, Pete. Cut 24. We need a full investigation, unquestionably. Um, this is about thousands of people's lives. This is about our elders. And, and there are families right now in New York State that lost a, a grandma, a grandpa, they lost an aunt or uncle. They're not sure what happened here. They worried something was done wrong. And the, and the big question, how do we make sure it never happens again? Uh, this really hasn't been investigated. The, the truth hasn't come out yet. And we need it. We need it. These are people's lives. And the notion that information was held back for you know, political convenience instead of the blunt truth coming out so we could save lives, something's profoundly wrong there. Here's my operating theory, Carol. And if, for those just joining the Brian Kilmeade show, we are visiting with a really talented writer, columnist for The New York Post, Carol Markowitz. And she has a great column that you should you should check out. Cuomo didn't protect seniors from COVID-19, but it was the media that covered it up. Here's my working theory. And we'll have about maybe 40 seconds for you to respond. We we have a situation where Cuomo was just too strong. The media, just too much cover. International Emmy Award winner, uh, book deal, best-selling author, <laughs> the, the president, then candidate, saying he's the gold standard uh, on leadership. And, and, and I mean, it was just total yeah. opposite world, bizarro world. But now the Democrats who wouldn't dare step out feel that it's safe to come out of the dark. And they're going for, I believe, the political Cuomo kill shot. Your closing right. comment. Yeah, the only thing you forgot in there is he also made himself a poster about his amazing success. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, I, I think he's done in that way. I think Democrats will no longer be providing cover for him. And I think that the media that had hoisted him on this pedestal has completely knocked him off of it now, which is what the media tends to do. Um, and I, I do think that his career ends here. Um, whether or not he survives the scandal, I, I don't see a political future for Governor Cuomo the way we did just a few months ago. Carol, an honor to present you on Brian's program. Be well. Have Thank a great day. Thank you so day. much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Good work. We're going to be back in just a little bit. And when we come back, we're going to share with you a little bit so you can get a taste of what I'm urging you to um, to make it a point to uh, to view, and that is the Limbaugh's legacy on Fox Nation. We'll share a little bit. Brian's featured prominently. We'll share that with you in just a little bit. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All of these Americans watching all the CBS, NBC, ABC News, reading the New York Times, Time Magazine, CNN, we're sitting there furious at the news bias, at the unfairness, at the depiction of Reagan, at the depiction of Goldwater, the way all of the genuine people they loved and adored were portrayed in the media. I came along and validated it. God is a profound factor. Uh, Jesus Christ, a profound factor. I have a 
personal relationship. I've not talked about it much publicly because I don't proselytize these things. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just try to give thanks every day for all of the blessings. Yeah. I have had a blessed life. Rush Limbaugh passed away yesterday at the age of 70. A very cruel disease, by the way, endocarcinoma of the lung. And Rush found out a little over a year ago. It's miraculous. When I heard his voice on December 23rd, it was remarkable how strong it was. When I heard his voice on February 2nd, I said to our audience uh, on our local show that um, I believe we have heard the last program that Rush will ever do. I heard I heard it in his voice. It, it was just completely, uh, it was the end. And all of us who have had the privilege to enjoy a career in the spoken word format, that includes Brian Kilmeade, that includes everyone, we owe Rush an incalculable debt of gratitude. Rush talked about possessing talent on loan from God. One of the coolest things I heard yesterday was Mark Stein on the Fox News channel say, talent returned to God. And today on the Brian Kilmeade Show, we're all ditto heads. Let me share one more uh, audio item from Rush Limbaugh in his own words. Cut 16. I think the natural spirit uh, of the human being is freedom. That's the natural spirit of our creation. That's the yearning that we have is to be free. And conservatism is simply freedom. Nobody can blow up that bond that Trump voters have. The Washington establishment to this day does not understand Donald Trump. They don't understand his voters, and they're not curious to find out why. I've always been oriented uh, on the on the conservative side of things. Never, ever wavered, was never tempted by anything else. We're Americans, which means we have the freedom to invest in whatever it is that makes us happy. That's in our founding documents. This is available at Fox Nation. Uh, celebrate Rush Limbaugh's legacy, Limbaugh's legacy at foxnation.com. When we come back, uh, we have uh, an outstanding uh, national talent, Fox News medical contributor, a family and emergency medicine doctor, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, will join us on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Obviously, we're going to be talking about COVID-19. We'll talk about how are we doing relative to getting the American people vaccinated. I have a working theory. I believe that in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have many more doses than people willing to take it. Right now, you're signing up, and there's tens of thousands of people ahead of you in your state to get the vaccine. It's going to settle down, and everybody that wants it is going to be able to have it. It's a privilege to fill in for Brian. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley with Allison, Eric, and Pete filling in for Brian. And the great news, substitute teacher leaves today 
Brian is back tomorrow right where he belongs, right here with you. The Brian Kilmeade Show continues on our Newsmaker line. The Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker Hotline is one of the important heroes during the COVID-19 pandemic. She's been a strong voice and and obviously uh, doing great work uh, out in the field, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. And you can follow uh, Dr. Neshwat on her social media, social media handle, is Dr. Jeanette, J-A-N-E-T-T-E, the uh, Fox News senior meteorologist, uh, uh, medical contributor, forgive me, and uh, family and emergency medicine doctor. Dr. Neshwat, it's Harry filling in for Brian. It's great to welcome you to Brian's program. Hey, Harry. Good morning. Hey, thanks for all the great work that you do. Uh, I I know, I think, just like when we have tough times, from either a military or a paramilitary standpoint, our country, our citizens are really good about remembering to remember, like during 911, police officers were properly honored. Who knew two decades later that people would be trying to cancel them? But clearly, doctors and nurses and all of our first responders have been tremendous. And I call you heroes not to be kind, but because you've earned it. Uh, full disclosure, Dr. Neshwat, I'm a nurse dad. So I have phenomenal, yes, yes, ma'am, uh, and nurses all over my family. My mother-in-law was a nurse for over 50 years. My wife's sister is a nurse for decades. My daughter is a nurse. My son-in-law is a nurse. My future daughter-in-law is a nurse. So we love what you do. We understand what you do, and we appreciate and we respect what you do. If you would, give us an update on your take, the state right now of the second wave of COVID-19. Well, first of all, Harry, I just want to say thank you and, and thank you to all the amazing nurses out there. My mom's a nurse, and you know they are the backbone of our healthcare industry, in my opinion. So your, your kind words mean a lot to us, and it's, it's all teamwork. We couldn't get through it um, without one another, without working hard together. But um, fortunately, right now, Harry, the number of cases, the number of hospitalizations are going down, and that's for a variety of reasons. Number one, holidays are over. Thanksgiving is over. Christmas, New Year's is over. We saw a massive spike in the number of cases because of the social gatherings and because of the holiday travel. But now that we have the holidays past us, we have vaccines underway, we have massive amount of testing, um, we're moving in the right direction. My only concern, though, is number one, we want to make sure people don't let their guard down as far as mitigation efforts. And number two, um, we've got the UK variant and the South African variant that are are highly more contagious. We know the UK variant is about 30% more lethal. So that's a problem that we've got to monitor very closely. We've got to watch very closely. So far as it is, um, the most recent studies that we have, um, just as of yesterday, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, um, it showed that Pfizer's vaccine, um, for example, is uh, still effective against you know the latest uh, variants that was of great concern. So, but we have to be careful because if we don't vaccinate quickly, then we're going to give more opportunity for the for the uh, virus to mutate, and it might get to the point where vaccines are less less and less effective. Dr. Neshwat, you mentioned Pfizer. Do we have any read yet on Moderna? How is that doing with the variants? Yes, Yes. so far also with Moderna. The vaccine is still effective, but um, as as with Pfizer, um, even though it's still effective against preventing severe disease, severe complications and death, the, the level of protection is slightly diminished. But 
uh, Moderna, for example, is working on a, a, a booster vaccine specifically against the variant. So with, is it possible that if you've had both doses of the Moderna vaccine, then maybe you might need a, a booster dose down the road? But it's important to understand, even if you've just had the, the regular dosaging, you are still given protection against the South African variant and the UK variant. It's just not as much as, as uh, the original variant protection. One of the executives spoke out on this topic. It may have been Pfizer, Biotech. I, I think it may be, but you, you would know for sure with respect mm-hmm. to, is this the type of thing where we expect that, like the flu shot, the flu vaccine, on an annual basis, we will take a COVID-19 vaccine? That's a great question. We don't know exactly for sure how long the protection that we receive from the vaccines will last. We're hoping maybe two or three years, but it may absolutely become um, a part of our regular lives just as we get the flu shot every year. We may need to get a COVID vaccine or a COVID booster maybe every other year, maybe every three, every three years. So how do we know for sure? Time will tell. That is our best indicator. So that's why until we get what we call herd immunity, we still need to continue um, with precautions of, you know, wearing your mask, physical distancing and cleaning, um, because the way we gather more information is literally with time. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, starring in this portion of the program, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. We're talking about COVID-19. You you made a very good point about cases down, transmission rates down, hospitalizations are down uh, since the November spike, which is great news. Uh, To what extent, how important is it? We, We hear, and it's often overused, herd immunity. We've got to get to 70 percent, 75 percent of the American people have to be willing to take the vaccine. And then I'll say it as a layperson. Then do we go from pandemic to endemic? Your thoughts? And we're going to get uh, Dr. Neshwat right back if I have to uh, recast the uh, the question. I will. I think she was there for most of the the uh, the question. And I did hear uh the, the line drop and we'll get her right back. Uh, I think that's a really important thing. I, I will never as a layperson, um, I'm not going to say you have to go get it. I, I know that I believe in it. And and for those, and I do want to talk to Dr. Neshwat about this, for those who think, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to get this. It's so new. The technology of the RNA, this is remarkable. It is groundbreaking. It is 10, 12 years in the making. It's not six months in the making. But we'll come back to that. Dr. Neshwad, I want to make sure you heard the last part of the question when I was speaking about the importance of herd immunity, 70, 75 percent of Americans being willing to take the vaccine so that we can go from pandemic to endemic. Is that is that about right? Yes, yes. So herd immunity, what that means is either we have most of the population, either they have been infected naturally and they naturally acquired um, coronavirus or they have been given immunity from the vaccine. And we need a large chunk of the population to have either one so that we can proceed with our normal lives and maybe one day not have to, you know, wear masks and engage in concerts and go into restaurants and, um, you know, parties and weddings and do all the things that we we used to do and go to a restaurant in more than 25 percent capacity. But in order to get to that point, we do have to reach herd immunity. Um, Just like the flu, um, it, it may every year 
you know, we may have surges, we may have spikes, we may have outbreaks, just like with the flu. There are some years where we had, for example, 80,000 people pass from the flu, and some years only 30,000 um, uh, patients mm. passed away. This year, very little, less than 1,000, which has been, been miraculous. But yes, um, herd immunity is something that will um, have a significant positive impact on um, getting rid of this pandemic. Dr. Neshwat, many have wondered, uh, because of COVID-19, there's almost been no flu. Is, 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 there, is that because people, I, I, get, I, I'll, I have my yeah. theory, but let me turn it to the expert. What are the reasons sure. in your mind that there's been so little flu? I think it's a multifactorial. Number one, wearing your mask. Wearing a mask isn't just going to protect you against coronavirus. It can protect you against other respiratory illnesses like influenza, even, for example, strep, um, pneumonias, other types of diseases out there. So I think, number one, wearing your mask. Number two, hand hygiene, also physical distancing. So all of the mitigation steps and the prevention measures that we've been taking for COVID has helped against the fight against influenza. On top of that, everyone going out and got their flu shots. Um, it was even for me. I had to, you know, hunt down a, a flu shot because we ran out because everyone was getting them. And Good. so I think that, in addition, uh, helped reduce the number of, of deaths and complications, which is a, which is really a blessing because we were so worried about having a twindemic, having both. Flu and COVID simultaneously would have been just disastrous. This is probably one of the most important things that that you can talk about during our visit Mm -hmm. this morning, Dr. Neshwat, and that is overcoming objections. No doubt we had a a one-year, I mean, hideously ugly campaign when uh, people were trashing the vaccine and, you know, calling it one candidate's vaccine and don't trust it. Even one of the the winners uh, said that they didn't trust it. And, of course, it's very tough to stuff that genie back in the bottle when you get in people's heads that something is rushed, like Donald Trump or somebody was whipping it up with a lab coat in in some back room. Uh, How do you respond to those I read a piece that was very interesting at uh, foxnews.com yesterday, 30 percent of our military saying they don't want to take it. Uh, I think that's probably nationwide, 30 or so percent of Americans. We know some are just never vaxxers and always have been. But I think some of it was uh, the, the campaign, misrepresentations, ignorance. What do you say to people that say this was way too rushed? I'm not letting them inject me with that. In 20 years, I don't want to be uh, answering to a, a, a TV ad that says, hey, call me if you took the COVID-19 vaccine in the year 2021 uh, and this and that. What do you say to those who are adverse to the vaccine? Sure. Uh, well, Harry, you know, vaccine hesitancy is a real global threat. And what it comes down to is providing awareness and education, uh, answering questions, being a role model to those in the community, showing that you're going to get the vaccine and you recommend it for your family, for your patients, for your loved ones. But I, what I would say is this: the technology behind the mRNA vaccine, it's not new, number one. Number two, we have over 100,000 patients that have gone through trials, and there has been no deaths and no serious complications. Um, so over 100,000 in the trials alone. And now we've already had millions of Americans, millions, including myself, had the Moderna vaccine, who have had the vaccine and have done perfectly well and are doing well. And I feel a sense of 
safety. I feel empowered. I feel more confident to continue to go and take care of my patients and also, you know, out in the community as well. So, um, you know, it's also important to understand that the FDA approves these uh, vaccines after going through rigorous trials and testing. The FDA researchers and scientists are held to the highest ethical and scientific standards and will not approve uh, anything, whether it's a medicine, a vaccine, a drug, unless it meets very strict, stringent criteria. So I understand if there's there's doubt, there's, there's concern, there's fear, there's hesitancy. That's normal. That's natural. The best thing to do is speak to your doctor mm-hmm. and um, do your own research, but understand the, the goal is to keep you alive from this insidious disease, this virus that has taken the lives of uh, nearly half a million Americans, and we now have control over it. Um, And I think so when we have the the tools to combat this virus, we we really need to go all out and make sure that it's available to everyone, it's accessible, and we make make sure that everyone is educated on the benefits of the vaccine. Dr. Neshwat, we only have about a minute and a half, and I would dare not bring you ever into politics, but I (laughs) I think this is a fair question. A tale of two cities, if you will, two different philosophies of management, two different philosophies of governance. Mm-hmm. Governor Cuomo in New York buttoned it down, locked it down, uh, shut people out in. I mean, that's what happened there in Florida. They stayed open for business. And if we talk about forget politics, if we just talk about the difference between staying opening or closing and transmission rate and and all the statistics, what can you say about that? Why would it not be if if locking everybody up and and ruining people's lives and shutting their businesses down for a year, if that was going to save lives, then then why isn't there some dramatic difference in transmission rate, hospitalizations uh, and everything involving this between a a state that stays open? And it's not just these two examples or a state that stays closed. Sure. You know, in hindsight, it's 2020. You know, for example, in New York, we were the epicenter of the world. We've lost thousands of patients. And, you know, it, it's it's a matter of what information did we have at the time? What did we know at the time? It was sort of as a, a learn, go and learn on the job, you know, figure things out as, as we're, we're progressing. Um, but it's a matter of taking the data that you knew at the time and applying it. We, we knew at the time that keeping schools closed um, was, a, was a mistake. We knew yeah. at the time that tra- transmission, um, we knew months ago last year that transmission of COVID, for example, in schools was low risk and that we were causing more harm than good for our children by keeping them out of the classroom. So it's, it's a matter of did we follow the science? Did we follow the data? Did we do what's best for patients, for Americans, for the economy? Um, and I think if, if you had the data and you didn't follow it, then that's a problem. But um, sometimes it is trial and error, and then sometimes it's a matter of, of, of looking at what's, what, is, what are the metrics in your community, what is the prevalence of COVID in the community, and, and following CDC guidelines to do what's best and do what's right for, for patients and the community overall. Very thoughtful answer. Dr. Neshwa, thank you for your time today on the Brian Kilmeade yes, Show. Thank you. You have a Be good well. one. Stay keep, safe. Yep. Nice you to meet too. You. All right. keep, yep. Keep saving lives. When we come back, we're going to go to a former teacher that I will say me as a former school board member, and I love education. I love teachers. Uh, I don't like some of this horrid politics that's going on. Uh, I can't wait for this call. It's coming up next. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian. I'm with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Brian will be back tomorrow. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Let's get right to it. Peggy is a great listener of the Brian Kilmeade Show in Georgia, where I have family uh, right now, hopefully listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Peggy, welcome. You're on the air. Hi there. Thanks. Hi. I know what you want to talk about. I absolutely agree with you. There is a social-emotional component that our children have been missing since the third marking period of the previous school year. We're losing children. We're losing children. I've been talking about it for months. We're losing children to suicide. We're, we're losing children that are missing out on formative uh, parts of education. What, what are your thoughts about all this? Well, my concern is that the Biden administration seems to have a willingness to accept anything and call it education to say that they can send students back to school for one day a week and let that be sufficient for an education. Yeah, uh, anybody that has worked with children knows that's not going to benefit them. Um, if it's okay and it's safe to have school one day, what's different about the other four days in the Bingo. week? Bingo. How does, how does that situation change? Right. And he also talked about how you would need, basically, he was looking to put the size of a classroom. You know, you're a teacher. You know teacher-pupil ratio. You can't cut that. Uh, you can't increase that by uh, from, from one teacher to needing, for, for, for a certain number of students, to needing three teachers for the same number of students. It's absolutely not affordable. Peggy, thank you. Thank you for your career in education. And we're going to be right back. We have a very special guest Janice Dean joining us next. Get this in all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. This is Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian Kilmeade, partnering with Allison and Eric and Pete. And Brian will be back tomorrow, which is great news for all Brian's uh, numerous fans. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which sits daily high atop the Mount Rushmore monument of talk radio programs in America. Brian's voice has never been more important, even more so with yesterday's passing of the legendary Rush Limbaugh. We'll be talking more about Rush coming up right after the great Janice Dean. Uh, I have to say that, um, and one of our earlier guests brought Janice up as well, uh, what what a just a profile in courage when it wasn't safe, knowing that Governor Cuomo was being given cover by almost the entire media, with the exception of Fox News and very little else, uh, that the truth was there, but it didn't count. Bizarro world rules were in effect. Cuomo could get an international Emmy. He could get uh, the book deal. He could make his posters for the for the Cuomo gift shop, the retail shop, and sell Cuomo posters. Uh, meanwhile, he has made some of the most um, unimaginable decisions uh, in the history of the republic. 
And we take this opportunity to welcome the distinguished Fox News senior meteorologist who is a New York Times bestselling author. It would take me the rest of the interview, Janice, to talk about all the different broadcaster books and all of that. And, and of course, mostly sunny. And coming up on March 2nd, right around the corner, Janice's new book, which I assure you in advance will also be a bestseller. Uh, make your own sunshine, inspiring stories of people who find light in dark times. And these are dark times in, in many respects. Janice, welcome to Brian's program. Oh, thank you for having me. Good to talk to you. Let's begin with one of the biggest lies of the entire Cuomo just spin machine, where he has continued to state that the federal government ordered him to put the COVID positive patients into nursing homes. Brian Kilmeade to the archives of the Brian Kilmeade show from May of last year. Uh, If you guys would do the honors, cut 10. The issue that the governor is bringing up, which I disagree with, is that, you know, somehow federal guidance said that you should put people who are COVID positive in a nursing home. What we say is that, yes, a nursing home will have COVID positive people in the nursing home. And if somebody's coming out from a hospital, they can if they are prepared to handle the unique needs of that patient. So the guidelines require them to isolate the patient. It has to make sure that they're they're appropriately staffed. Anytime you discharge a patient from the hospital, it is the responsibility of the hospital to make sure that the patient is going to be safe when they discharge them. So if they're going home or if they're going to a nursing home. So, Janice, I believe the truth is finally, and you're a big, big part of why a lot of people, not just me as a friend saying it, but a lot of people agree with that. Everybody I've ever said it to agrees with it, that you staying on top of this when no one else would talk about it, basically, has been so important. So that was never true. It wasn't true then. It's never been true now. Uh, And yet, because I guess we have a New York governor that blames God and nurses and visitors and the federal government and anybody else. Uh, This was never true, was it? No, and I think we're going to get there, hopefully, with this newest investigation that was welcome news last night uh, when I saw that breaking, that we're going to have a federal investigation uh, into this mandate that was put into effect March 25th. And I think if we can find the origin of where that order came from, Mm -hmm. who was giving him advice to admit over 9,000 COVID COVID, COVID positive patients into nursing homes. Where did that come from? Uh, There is some good reporting out there that details his relationship with hospital lobbyists who have been giving him advice for many years now, the ones that line his pockets. Mm. Um, So if you look back to the origins of that, there is some evidence already that he wasn't listening to science. He was listening to hospital lobbyists tell him what to do. And I think if we can go down that trail, it will lead us to money and corruption. Janice, what I've never heard yet is, someone in the media ask Governor Cuomo, and if they have, they haven't been persistent about it or or sought out a a real answer to the question. Former President Trump delivered, as you know, the USS Comfort, delivered the Javits Center, hospital grade, filtration, I mean, surgical pavilion grade uh, hospital in the Javits Center, and Governor Cuomo didn't use it. Do we ever have an answer? Why? 
Right. And that's my other part to this. So we find the origins of the March 25th order to put mm. the patients into, into nursing homes. And then we find out why he didn't use those facilities given by the federal government, uh, because those were put in place. You know, taxpayers paid millions of dollars out of their own pockets to ensure that there was an overflow, a place to bring patients if need be. And they were never used. There were there were articles written about doctors and nurses that were basically on social media all day long because they were just waiting to have patients to care for. What does your experience tell you? And, and again, for those listening to Brian's program, uh, Janice Dean is probably the least political person, not in the country, on the planet. Uh, you had to do this. You, you lost your, your both your in-laws, your mom, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law to this decision. Uh, you have felt a sense of familiar duty, I mean, and also helping out uh, a lot of other people by doing what you've done. This is, I don't want to say it's out of character for you, but this is something you've never done before. And I don't like being in this position, to be honest with you. I like reporting on the storms that are coming, you know, in the atmosphere, not the political ones that I seem to be a part of. But you're right. I thought it was important for me to speak out because I wasn't seeing the coverage at all of this story that affected my family. We didn't know there was a March 25th order to put COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. Um, And the fact that we knew, you know, quite early that the numbers they were reporting were off by thousands because he wasn't counting those in the hospital. I mean, if you have a car crash that happens on the highway and the person is, you know, fatally wounded, and but they die in the hospital or on the way to the hospital in the ambulance, does that make it, make it a, a hospital death and not a car crash death? Right. No, of course not. So why was he counting them this way? And I'm going to call this the Janistine Doctrine because it is truly now being uh, believed by many, including those uh, of Governor Cuomo's fellow Democratic Party. You have nine assembly members who have accused New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of violation of Title 18, Chapter 73 of the Federal Criminal Code, obstruction of justice. You have New York Assemblyman Democrat Ron Kim, and we're going to share a little bit of audio to give everybody in Brian's audience and Janice the opportunity to hear the latest from Mayor de Blasio on this. He is now coming out very, very strong. So this isn't, uh, and we have the audio, we could play it in a loop of uh, Governor Cuomo saying, oh, it's only Fox News and the, the New York Post. Well, no, it's not. It's Assemblyman Kim, a Democrat, saying on February 11th that Governor Cuomo threatened him, said he would, quote, destroy him, said you have not, quote, seen my wrath. In, in a um, consecutive montage, Eric and Pete, play cuts 24 and 25. We need a full investigation, unquestionably. Um, This is about thousands of people's lives. This is about our elders. And and there are families right now in New York State that lost a a grandma, a grandpa, that lost an aunt or uncle. They're not sure what happened here. They worry that something was done wrong. And the the big question, how do we make sure it never happens again? Uh, This really hasn't been investigated. The, The truth hasn't come out yet. And we need it. We need it. These are people's lives. And the notion that information was held back for you know, political convenience instead of the blunt truth coming out so we could save lives, something's profoundly wrong there. Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, Mika, but that's classic Andrew Cuomo. Um, a lot of people in New York State have received those phone calls. Uh, you know, the bullying is nothing new. 
Um, I believe Ron Kim, and it's very, very sad. No public servant, no person who's uh, telling the truth should be treated that way. Um, but yeah, that, the, the threats, the, the belittling, uh, the demand that someone change their statement right that moment, uh, many, many times. I've heard that, and I know a lot of other people in this state have heard that. MSNBC media credit there in that montage. Janice Dean, how does it feel to no longer be alone? I can't imagine how lonely mm. that may have been for all those months when you were telling the truth and they were denying you the right to even speak. They said if, if our listeners of Brian's show don't remember or never knew it, uh, Janice was supposed to speak at the hearing. Then they said, oh, would you do us a favor, Janice, and speak at the second hearing? And then, then they knocked her out of that. Uh, just as creepy and dirty as it gets. But how does it feel, Janice Dean? You're no longer alone. Here are Governor Cuomo's fellow Democrats giving him the what-what. Well, I mean, I guess it, there is some vindication, but I'll never have my in-laws back, you know. So mm. it's it's bittersweet, I suppose. And I want to see justice. Okay, I, I'm glad that there's a chorus that's forming that's both on both sides of the aisle. Who knew that Governor Cuomo would be the one that that unites Republicans and Democrats, but it seems to be happening. You know, they're coming across party lines and they're and they're saying, let's let's have justice on behalf of these families. It's been almost a year now. um, And, you know, we just want answers. So, you know, talk to me in a few months when we start to maybe see more information and then I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Do you sense, though, I, I appreciate that, Janice. I appreciate that. But do you sense, though, that his own fellow Democrat Party members, they're coming after him? They, if they don't let it go, then I would think that finally he will be held to account. This is looking pretty good in that respect right now, I think. Well, I feel like it's safety in numbers, right? So yeah. they see Ron Kim, who is a hero in this, by the way. I have been very good friends with Ron Kim. I met him many months ago uh, when I was uh, trying to, you know, get on, cap- uh, go to Albany and tell my story. Um, he was one of the only Democratic lawmakers that actually joined in a Zoom meeting as they were trying to make up to the fact that they, you know, took me off the um, the, the guest list to tell my family story during those hearings in August, he was the only one that reached out to me because he had a, he had an uncle that died in a nursing home. That's why I always say it's the, it's the people, it's the lawmakers that had something affect them that, you know, that really are, um, wanting to make a change because it's happened to them. So the fact that Ron Kim is a hero in this, and he has spoken up on behalf of his family and is finally, finally saying, this is what happened. I have the receipts. They all feel now that there is cover, that they can they can tell their stories and say, yes, we knew about this guy. I mean, I've been hearing these stories for the last 10 months, both from lawmakers and reporters. He's the type of guy that will call at midnight and scream at you in front of your family members. Mm, unbelievable. Janice, we have about a minute. And I think uh, if you could for us, give us your best minute on what has happened in Texas, how unusual this is. Obviously, the millions of people without power. Uh, it was over 4 million at one point. Uh, and, and, of course, the, um, the reliance of uh, wind turbines and, and solar uh, is perfect until there's no wind and they're frozen solid and, and the panels are covered in snow. How unusual is this? 
this is something they're going to have to look at seriously and make sure it never happens again, because this has been historic to have this much cold and ice and snow, uh, not only in Texas, but Oklahoma and Arkansas. So this is a devastating uh, thing that they're going to have to rectify. Janice, congratulations on your work and and best. I cannot wait to do a book review of the new book. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Janice Dean the Fox News senior meteorologist. When we come back, we're going to go back to your calls on the Brian Kilmeade phone lines. And uh, you know the number. You're, you're here every day with the great Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669. Harry, Allison, Eric, and Pete filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade, who will be back tomorrow. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley with Allison, Eric, and Pete filling in for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. That's the great news. The substitute teacher uh, will be gone, and your host will be back. We're going to go to your calls on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We welcome Martin listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on WNIS in Williamsburg, Virginia. Martin, welcome to the program. You're on the air. Thank you very much for taking my Good to take your call. And I I know uh, because... I just know you want to talk about Governor Andrew Cuomo. That's right. What are your thoughts? I want I'm a past uh, I'm a past uh, uh, 54 year retiree from surgery who served in uh, filling out these death certificates and on the state uh, for the state uh, medical uh, society. Mm-hmm. I want to say that what Cuomo was doing in a mendacious way was clearing his state Medicaid rolls because it went from being a state responsibility to a federal responsibility. And the more people they could sign out as COVID, uh, the better the state did. Yeah. And yeah. That that was a major motivation here. Hey, Martin, let me it jump was. in because we want to get a caller in in just a moment from Texas, because obviously they've been in our thoughts and prayers all over the country as people have literally died. I mean, this is no joke. The cold has been extreme. They're not used to it. They're not equipped for it. And it's been disastrous. So, Martin, I appreciate your call. I want to go to Chuck in Montgomery, Texas. He's north of Houston, and we're learning that folks are starting to get power back well, I'll tell you what, you, you know this uh, personally, uh, Chuck, that when you don't have electrical power, you're basically back in the Stone Ages. You can't charge your devices. You have no Wi-Fi. Uh, you have no heat. How are things going, Chuck? Well, um, look here, up north, on the northern counties uh, like Montgomery and uh, up, up, up in the north part of the counties, they're all getting power back up. And the roads Good. are clearing. The uh, interstates are open. Um, it just makes you want to be grateful for what you have because it can be gone in the blink of an eye. And, uh, Chuck, Chuck though, is this that... Chuck? Is it also a lesson though? When we got to look at this, especially with this administration, 
that's uh, putting the horns on uh, killing the Keystone XL pipeline. They believe that everything can just be alternative and and their their dystopian dream. I mean, the the state of Texas is relying on one third of the power grid to be powered by wind turbines and by solar. And if you get hit the way you've gotten hit, and I know it's rare, but if you get hit like this, you're going to be in a world of hurt. This 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 sends notice, I think, to the folks that are promoting these kinds of things. Yes, sir. And uh, like Colonel Allen West said, you know, just they're, they're destroying our gas, uh, you know, all of our all of our uh, economics down here, and they're just they're destroying all of our. Uh, jobs and they're just making a mess of things and if somebody doesn't get a hold of this man it's going to get bad chuck i want to thank you for listening to the brian kilmeade show and for calling in today and godspeed to you and all the citizens in that state and surrounding states that have been so uh dramatically affected when we come back michael harrison will join us on the brian kilmeade show the founder publisher editor of talkers magazine and we'll be talking about the late hard to say it rush limbaugh Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Conservatism has been so maligned uh, in uh, in state-run media for so many years. All we want is success for everybody. We want freedom for everybody. Uh, we understand that a great nation is made up of great people doing great things, ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things. We don't look at the American population with contempt and derision. We don't look at a group of people and pick out the number of blacks in it and the number of whites and the number of women. We see Americans. We see human beings. We see potential. Liberals look at a group of people and they see incompetence. They see people that can't overcome the obstacles of life, want a government program to help them. Yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's somewhat frustrating because conservatism, I think we talked about this last time, conservatism is in the process, some people say, of needing to be redefined or modernized or whatever. Uh, era of Reagan is over. No, 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 no. I mean, freedom will never go out of style, and that's the foundation of conservatism. Sean Hannity interviewing Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh, his words. And a reminder, there is an awesome piece of new content available at Fox Nation, foxnation.com, Limbaugh's Legacy. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with Allison, Eric, and Pete. Brian is back tomorrow. Uh, this is a real privilege for me. In, in terms of talk radio and, and talking about Rush Limbaugh, which we're going to do for the next 15 minutes, you, you couldn't find a more well-versed, better-equipped person to speak about this. Michael Harrison is the founder, the publisher, and editor of Talkers Magazine, Point of Personal Privilege. Michael is a very good friend of mine, and he is such an important mentor. He has been so instrumental in my broadcasting career, and I, I, can't, I haven't found the way to properly thank him. Michael's career in the spoken word format and all things radio. He's been a station owner, programmed FM stations. He's been an FM DJ, a radio talk show host, TV, digital era, uh, enormous talent. His career spans more than five decades. He's more relevant now than he has been, which is really saying a lot after you've already done something for more than five decades. Michael Harrison, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Harry. I'm finally getting it right. You know, I'm finally figuring out how to do this. 
Well, yeah, you, you've got it down. Uh, keep, and keep it going. And, and if I didn't say so, a nationally syndicated uh, radio talk show host in your own right. And you're doing yeah, I keep some. keep busy. I got to yeah, tell you, you something. The, uh, the last couple of days have been dizzying for me. I can't believe uh, how far and wide the interest in Rush Limbaugh is. And I've been um, called into service in terms of conversations and background and, 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 and talking. I feel like I'm on one of those marathons, you know, where you break in the Guinness Book of Records of how much how how long you're on the air well uh, michael if we say that something it has existed for a hundred years and right. rush limbaugh has been on the top of mount rushmore of it for a third of its entire existence Pretty without amazing. rush limbaugh michael harrison would we have talk radio as we know it no we wouldn't now that's not to say that it's completely on his shoulders and that he is the total inventor and total force because that would be um, diminishing the contributions and the springing into existence of so many talented people and hardworking people on both sides of the microphone. And it would also not recognize great pioneers such as Larry King, who died a couple of weeks ago, or, or wonderful talents such as Barry Farber and, you know, Long John Neville and Barry Gray and, and Michael Jackson from the West Coast. Uh, not the Bob Grant. But the talk. Bob Grant. You know, so I, I hesitate to pronounce things as being, you know, totally, you know, 100%. But that being said, of all the influences on radio, not just talk radio, but radio as it exists in 2021, I would say that it would be vastly different and much diminished than it is now had it not been for Rush Limbaugh and the contributions that he made to this medium. On the Brian Kilmeade Newsmaker line is Michael Harrison, the founder, publisher, and editor's editor of Talkers Magazine. I think the case is made. I think the case is provable. Did Rush Limbaugh save AM radio? Uh, if, if you want to uh, look at him as the main cause of this whole situation, he certainly saved it as a viable mainstream, and I mean that in the broad sense of media, iconic, relevant platform that millions of dollars of business are being transacted on every year, and that um, the marketplace of ideas in America, the, the First Amendment in action, is alive and well on this venue. Yeah, Rush Limbaugh, if he didn't save it, he kept it on life support for many more decades than would have been easy to maintain. How would you articulate what Rush Limbaugh means to the rest of us in the talk radio, what you would call even the new talk media business? Well, he changed the paradigm. He changed the paradigm of talk radio. Talk radio before Rush Limbaugh uh, was uh, very, very careful not to say anything controversial because we had a thing called the Fairness Doctrine. As a matter of fact, if it were not for the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine and um, Ronald Reagan's involvement in that, um, Rush Limbaugh might not have ever been given a chance. So in some ways, Ronald Reagan started talk radio. You know, there's always a cause for every effect. And I'm a bug on that, as you probably can tell, as I give you these complex answers to simple questions for which I apologize, but it's just my nature to try to get to the bottom of things. Um, The... um, 
the, the, the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine and then uh, Rush Limbaugh coming into the game turned talk radio from a sideshow in radio uh, with only a handful of practitioners, almost all of whom were as different from each other as possibly could be. Some were liberals, some were conservatives, many were curmudgeons, they were populists, they were characters, they had a lot of life experience, some of them were argumentative and you know, kind of squirrely, uh, very interesting people. Because of Rush Limbaugh, we now have a, a highly politically charged talk radio, much more than it was back then. And radio stations and shows are, and some people love it and some people hate it, but it's true, they're categorized by political um, uh, position at this point, as opposed to the nature of the personality of the hosts. Talker Magazine's Michael Harrison on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian will be back tomorrow. I've been making this case for almost 30 years, uh, Michael, that without Rush Limbaugh, the 1994 election, which took the majority from the Democrat Party for the first time in 40 years, 4-0, 40 years, they had had control. Every two years, it was monolithic, it was automatic, and in 1994, something very different happened. The media never saw it coming. Uh, I guess uh, point of personal comment, I did see it coming and predicted it, uh, but no one in the national media was willing to face anything other than it would just stay the way that it is, that it's only right if Democrats win, and something very different happened in 1994. I submit to you, Michael Harrison, and this is not to, to be political, uh, I think it's also uh, like a math equation provable, that without Rush Limbaugh, I don't believe that the Gingrich, if you want to call it, the contract with America, the Republican Revolution, that it was called, I don't believe it could possibly have happened without the Maharishi. I think that you're right. And um, I uh, think that that also marked a turning point in the evolution of Limbaugh's career, where even he began to take himself more seriously. Before the contract with America, um, even Rush Limbaugh was actually one of the most outspoken hosts against talk show hosts taking themselves seriously. He, I, I, I've interviewed him a number of times from that early stage of his career, and he would say, I, I'm not one of these guys that is trying to change the world. I'm not trying to impose my will upon politics. I'm just talking about, you know, what, what, what I see, and, um, and, and we have a lot of fun doing it, because he was, he was sort of like a, a, a conservative version of Jon Stewart. He was very satirical. He was full of shtick. He had a lot of jokes. He was funny, and he was irreverent. He was even somewhat of a Howard Stern type of shock jock. Some of his things were considered in bad taste. You know, it was a different thing. But when suddenly he was made, I think, an honorary member of Congress, or he addressed the junior congressmen all coming in, the freshmen, and um, they took him seriously. Uh, he had already been invited to the White House by uh, George H.W. Bush, who carried his bag. Uh, all of a sudden, it, it became apparent that this man was a political force. And Limbaugh began to change his um, his act, if, you, if you'll pardon the expression, and become far more focused and serious and accepting of his role as an American thought leader. Yeah, rather than an entertainer, which he was obviously vet with the Correct. ditties and everything— he was terrific at that. He became more serious because yes. he became results driven because he saw that you can harness the energy of a movement in this country with the power, as you know, Michael, you do it so well of talk radio and the spoken word format. 
Mm -hmm. And we've even seen the word entertainment or entertaining change over the years as a result of that. Back in the old days, entertaining meant telling jokes, yucking it up, doing shtick, being dirty, you know, things like that. The word people don't talk that much about entertaining anymore. The word that has replaced it is engaging. Engaging is the new way of saying entertaining because it doesn't. It has, there's no misgivings about it. It means engaging people because people are entertained by different things. And public affairs and politics can be very wonky. It could be very boring. With Rush Limbaugh, we saw that it didn't have to be all goofy. It didn't have to be funny. It could be riveting. It could be engaging. And so we've had a change of how we view the entertainment factor in our media, and that has had a major impact on all media today that's, that's engaged in public policy or what we call journalism. Michael, and those just joining us, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Michael Harrison of Talkers Magazine, founder, publisher, editor. Something that you and your team does every year, and I know that a lot of broadcasters in America listen to Brian Kilmeade's program. Brian is on basically your Mount Rushmore top five on what's called the heavy hundred list, the most, the 100 most important talk radio hosts in America. Rush Limbaugh was number one year after year after year for 20-some-plus years yes. until in the age of Trump. Sean Hannity supplanted him, and Rush went to number two. And now, I know the way that you guys do what you do from afar in terms of gauging what kind of year is somebody having, what's going on, uh, the influence of different people, and so on. That was almost, though, almost you were able to do it almost on an automatic renewal basis, weren't you? Well, uh, yeah, uh, Rush Limbaugh, and, and collectively Rush Limbaugh is number one on that great chart in the sky that we have to update of the greatest or the most important talk show host of all time. Absolutely. Uh, even Hannity agreed to that. Yep. You know, yep. that, uh, Limbaugh, Hannity never wanted to replace uh, Limbaugh <laughs> number one. But there was no way we could possibly not recognize the fact that Sean Hannity had created the influence of talk radio on American public policy so profound by his relationship with the President of the United States, which was an everyday conversation in which the President was taking advice on major public issues, on policy from Sean Hannity that uh, that went so far beyond anything we ever imagined could happen with the talk radio phenomenon of the 90s that it would turn into in the 21st century a talk show host whispering in the ear of the president of the United States what to do, that it was so unprecedented we had to make Sean Hannity number one. It didn't mean that Limbaugh was slipping. It just meant that Hannity was doing the triple Lutz of all time. <laughs> so show, Michael, it shows what it took to put anybody ahead of Limbaugh. Exactly. And, and, and you know something? Everybody was cool with it, yeah. even Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, because he understood. I mean, the relationship yeah. was, it was unprecedented. The, the, um, the, the corny phrase of the takeaway, the takeaway in our two-minute drill, Michael, of Rush Limbaugh, his career, talk radio, Going forward, for those who don't know, this hasn't been talked about a lot. They're going to continue with the Rush Limbaugh program for a uncertain period of time. They'll be rotating guest hosts. They're going to, of course, use audio from Limbaugh. There's thousands and thousands of hours. Um, what's the future of talk radio without Limbaugh? It'll be the future of radio without Limbaugh. 
Uh, it will, it'll, it'll, we'll get to see just how many great hosts there are out there, and um, people will stop saying what's going to happen to talk radio without Limbaugh. Talk, it is a tribute to Limbaugh that yeah. talk radio will be alive and well without him and has the potential to go for decades and decades more. All the talk about talk radio being dead, talk radio being disruptive, talk radio being dangerous, talk radio not having anything to talk about every time a major story ends. I've been around that track so many times, all the way back to the to the 80s, that um, I, I, I just look at it and say, give me a break. The key to talk radio's future is not whether it has Rush Limbaugh. The key to talk radio's future is if it can integrate into the digital era technologically and maintain a viable business model uh, in the process. Michael Harrison, uh, so nice to visit with you today. Keep up the great work, and uh, thanks for appearing on Brian's program today. You too, Harry. Thank you so much. Be well. You're welcome, my friend. Michael Harrison, founder, publisher, editor, Talkers Magazine. We will be back with a closing segment straight ahead. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you, Brian, Allison, Eric, and Pete for letting me hang out with you today. You're an awesome, amazing team. Such an important program for America. Uh, Brian is back tomorrow. I'm pleased to report. Let me try. I was teasing uh, our team that I was going to do a triple Lindy in honor of Rodney Dangerfield. Back to school, Thornton Melton, uh, Mellon, rather, and all that. I'm going to try to get three quick stories in. Uh, two are sort of political. One is just... Um, it's just it's happening. It's just real in Arkansas. Ranchers are coming across calves. It's how cold is it? So cold. How cold is it? It's so cold that calves are having their ears fall off. I mean, I can't even believe that I can say these words on the Brian Kilmeade show and that it's true. And so the, the ranchers what they're resorting to, they're duct taping the calves' ears to their necks to stop their ears from falling off. So anybody out there that doesn't believe it's cold outside, uh, it's cold. I think it was something like more than 70% of America is under snow or ice or some form of very, very frigid conditions. In a second item, and I think this really um, proves the point that many people believe And that is that Joe Biden is a placeholder, that our president is indeed a transition president. And the vice president, Kamala Harris, is actually taking charge of a very primary role, the president of the United States. And she has been making presidential calls. You 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 might think, oh, you're just picking. No, it's it's very unusual, very, very unusual. And here's one that I thought we were going to today on Brian's program to be able to say that, can you believe it's almost been a month and the president, Joe Biden, has not with the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. If you remember the Obama-Biden administration, they were horrifically bad to this wonderful ally. I mean, it's the only democracy in the Middle East. They're our incredible ally you have the United Kingdom and the special relationship, as it's called, quote unquote, and you have Israel. They've got to be, I think any new incoming president, they've got to be two of your first calls that you make. Yesterday, 
So we just missed being able to say they haven't spoken. Just yesterday, they spoke because there were many concerns. I had them because I saw the first uh, act and, and the relationship was not good. So why would it be any different uh, in the second act, the third term of Obama, if you will? Uh, and is it going to be a frosty relationship? Well, they did speak, and I think that's good, so I won't criticize that. And I'm happy that I couldn't come on Brian's show today and tell you that it's almost a month and they still haven't spoken. On behalf of Brian Kilmeade, Allison, Eric, and Pete, my name is Harry Hurley. It's been a privilege to fill in today. For Brian, who will be back tomorrow, stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.